Alright you guys, welcome back to another episode of Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course Little Man, aka James, aka The Flashman, welcoming you back to part 2 with Diablo. Hey, if you haven't had the chance, please go and check out part 1 with Diablo and all the other episodes before then. We have a huge cavalcade of stars from the wrestling world to entertainment to actors, you name it, I've had the chance to sit down and chat with them already. But Without further ado, it's my French word. We're going to kick it off with part two with Diablo right now. Anyone who's done this knows that you don't stay away. For, you have that itch. You have that itch, you know, because the thing is, is you take time off and then you go, oh, hey, my body feels better. Yeah. Oh, hey, absolutely. my shoulder doesn't hurt as much as it used to. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can actually get out of bed without limping now. Like... You know, you suddenly start going, oh, I can go to the gym and actually work out and get like a full workout and, you know, that sort of thing. So you, you kind of feel like, oh, hey, maybe I should go back to wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it does not take long for your body to remember. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. abuse you put on it's it. It's like riding a bike, but painfully. Yeah. Oh, look, you, you don't forget. I'll, no. I'll be the first one to be like, because I remember, uh, I remember when I came back and um, I, said to, I said to Pete, it's like, I'm scared that I can't do this anymore. He's like, oh, it's like riding a bike. Yeah, and it is. It, it is. so is. It is, yeah. Like, obviously, you got ring rust and, you know. Your timing's like, a little. Your timing's yeah. off. Luckily for me, I've always been stiff to work with. So when I was punching guys. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. So, so when I was punching guys, they were like, oh, yeah, like, that's how he used to punch before this. Like, mm -hmm. that hasn't changed. Like, he hasn't got any better at it. So, you know, like, that's probably your biggest thing. So you took nine months off. You sort of called it called it in about 2004. Am I, am I guessing about the tail end of 2004, maybe beginning of 2005 you came back? Yeah, so it would have been, yeah, probably about 2005. Right. And then I wrestled from 2005 to 2007, so I did another couple of years there. Right, okay. And then at this point you, again, were feeling just like, hey, I've, I've scratched that itch, I want to get out of here, or was there something else going on? There was, there was a few things going on. I definitely had developed um, some bad habits in in my personal life. I, um, I, I, I think I was trying to mask the pain that I was in, like from the, the ring, or from yeah, the... like from the ring. Okay. Like I, you know, like I, I did a ladder match. In in two thousand and I think it was early two thousand and seven, and I got um I got seriously hurt like really bad like the the um the the ladder hit me right on the spine and on my um sciatic nerve and right. and and did some real damage. I actually tore I like I'm not, I'm not even gonna try and remember what the muscle was called, but I. It was right on my spine where my sciatic nerve was. There was a muscle a, a bit higher up than that that I completely tore, like tore wow. right off. From the impact of the ladder? From the impact of the ladder. Did the ladder hit you or did you yeah, fall on like it? Yeah, like the ladder fell back and like, like, well, actually it didn't fall back. Someone threw it at me. <laughs> it, it hit me. It hit me so hard and it just got me like on the point of the ladder, like on the top plate and... So and look, I remember I remember being in the match and remember it it hit and I was like, oh my god! And the thing is, is when you're in a wrestling match, there's so much adrenaline going through your body yeah. that you kind of don't feel it 
And then when you get backstage, you still don't feel it. And then it's probably about two o'clock in the morning. If you're not drunk, mm-hmm. then it starts to kick in. Yeah, exactly. But usually we're all, we're all drinking at that point. So mm. you kind of feel a bit loose. But it's that next morning. Mm. And I just remember during the match, it hit and I just went, oh, my God, like that hurt. Mm. And for me to do that in a match, I knew it wasn't good. Um, and then so obviously, you know, kept going, finished the match. And then um, it wasn't too bad for a while there. And then I did a, I did a couple more shows and then I, I did a tournament uh, I did a tournament show, like, you know, it was kind of like the King of the Rings sort of thing. Sure. And I got dropped on my head twice, like, and compressed. Um, so my... was this a month straight after the lather match, the next month? Yeah, probably probably two months after. Okay. And, like, I knew, I knew there was something wrong. Sure. But I just didn't, you know, wrestlers think they're tough. You know, you just think, oh, I'll just work through it. And I just remember being in pain a lot. And I just remember, like, using, like, Chinese herbal deep heat crap, like, trying to get yeah. through everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Tiger oh, this will do. Yeah, like, oh, this will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then, then the pain just kept getting worse and worse. And then wow. um, then I wrestled, yeah, I wrestled this match. And, and like I said, the, the guy who did it, I'm not going to name names, but the guy who did it, is a, is a good friend of mine and it was an accident. Like I know he didn't intentionally hurt me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like I, I got dropped on my head like once and then, um, you know, and the first time I probably would blame myself for it for not protecting myself enough. The second time was really him. But I knew laying there like uh, after the pinfall that I knew I knew it was bad. Was it a moment where it was like a lift and you just slipped or was it a... It was, a, it was like a... Um, um, yeah, I'd say it was just... I'd say it was a fact that he was, you know, it's probably just didn't have me the right way. Like maybe he was just too, you know, just too green. Might have been sweat. Do you remember what the move was that uh, Death Valley you? Driver. Right, and your head was just too low? It came down I think it was angle. just more my like my, my chin was tucked, but it was just more like when when the drop happened. Like a Death Valley driver is quite a dangerous move mm. in itself because you actually are coming down like a neck breaker. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of guys try and do it like kind of like a like a suplex at the last minute sort of thing. Yeah, and and that just didn't happen. It was pretty much like a brain buster, but it was just you know wasn't to the point. So you just like, didn't shoot you over enough to... Yeah, like I just don't think I just came over enough. It was more like a neck breaker, like, oh, so <laughs> you, did you know. So when you hit, did you have that... I just had that, like That this, gong sensation? I just had this like numbness go wow. over me. And... Um, so like it's very LSD Boston-ish, like the numb? Oh, not that bad. Like I'd actually had worse... In, like I'd actually had a worse... I'd actually had a stinger before, like in my, in early in... Um, my career as well mm-hmm. so uh, it wasn't as bad as that that scared the living shit out of me mm-hmm. like thinking that i was almost paralyzed but yeah. this one was just more it was like it was like the connection between my neck and my back it was just that muscle was then that was then gone like that yeah. was like i it was kind of like if you can imagine it was hanging on by a thread mm. this just this just severed it 
Right. And um, I just remember laying there and it just felt like there was a knife in my back. Mm. And so I went to the doctor and they said that, yeah, you've pretty much torn that off. And, <laughs> and so, and that's why you're in so much pain. So sadly where the muscle was situated is that they said it's just a matter of letting it heal, letting it like come back together. And that it was actually a lot of brain um memory like a a memory like like trying to get the muscle to remember how to use it so it healed so i had it i had it looked at had it done and then now it's a matter of okay your your brain has now forgot about that muscle because you've because it's not there and it's not working Mm. and it's been fixed now we've got to teach reteach your brain to get that muscle working again. Sure. So yeah, I had yeah. to do these exercises where I had to sit up straight and I had to, you know, pull my shoulders back and I had to really concentrate on where that muscle was and then I'd have to really think about it as I was doing the exercises. And so it was quite a frustrating, you know, because it's not easy. It's not like you can just turn around and go like, hey, muscle, come on. <laughs> like, remember what we're doing here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a... And I'm not the most patient of people, as you know. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, I got, um, you know, I was obviously in a lot of pain after this one. So then it pretty much became the painkiller start. Right. Okay. And then because I wasn't in a good place, mm. the drinking started. And then the painkillers and the drinking. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much my relationship ended. Right. Um, I pretty much couldn't understand where where the pain actually stopped mm-hmm. because I was constantly doing the wrong thing. Right. So it got to a point where um, taking taking medication that I was abusing drinking way too much, hanging around with the wrong people, mm-hmm. finding myself in in the gutter outside my house, not knowing what what the fuck I was doing there. You wow. know. Yeah, it was really it was a really sad point in my in, in my time to actually think that, you know, I went from doing something I loved to something that was destroying me. Did you have any Connections with anyone in the wrestling at that point, or were you just disconnected from everyone? Back I then? look. All of my all my closest friends had had um, gone to America. Um, oh. So there was a group. There was a good group of um, um, local local wrestlers who all decided that they would go to America for a few months and mm-hmm. wrestle on the indie circuit. Um, ben had met his wife and obviously, you know, was settling down and, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just that dropkick friend at the time that no one really wanted to be around anyway. And and I didn't help that. Mm. I wasn't the most fun person to be around. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of alienated myself a little bit. Um, yeah, and I just remember, um, I just remember waking up one day just dry reaching on my uh, on my front lawn and wow. I was like well this needs to stop yeah and um 
so yeah, so I um, I pretty much um, had a had a call from a friend who said, you know, look, why don't you come come down to Tassie and sort your shit out and get away from the Gold Coast life, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I pretty much packed up packed up my Ute with everything I could, drove down to Tassie. Um, pretty much had support for some friends down there and spent the next 11 years in Tasmania sorting my shit out. Wow, so you, you quite literally drove from Gold Coast down to... I pretty much packed everything I could Victoria. into that ute yeah. and drove down drove down to um, Melbourne Port mm-hmm. and got on the Spirit of Tasmania. <laughs> on the ute? I think, I think that was the... Yeah, I think that was... That was the hardest drive ever, not to fall asleep at the wheel. I mm. just, I think I did it in like two days. So. Wow. Mm. So I'm assuming at this point you're pretty much trying to go cold turkey while doing that drive? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. So you're mm. fighting off pretty much an addiction while driving all the way down to It's not Melbourne. fun. And, they, and this is something that not a lot of people know about me. And, and, yeah. and the thing is like my own family don't really know the story and, and obviously it's you know it can be embarrassing to, to to you know to bring up but it's one of those things where I think you know mentioning it in this podcast is is pretty much as like I, I hope that someone I hope some young talent listen to my story and actually go oh this is why when he's at a show he says less is more and I don't need to do all this stupid shit and I don't need to set up a set up ladders as a as a structure and then pile drive someone off it to the floor or mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what I hope that someone gets from this story is we don't you know we're in the, we work in the in the indies so mm. to say mm-hmm. and we don't have we don't have Vince McMahon paying for our medical bills. You know, like if you get hurt, you're on your own. Yeah. The promoter's not going to pay for you to have back surgery or shoulder surgery or knee surgery. Like, you know, as we saw today, like one of our close friends has, you know, has now decided to step away from wrestling mm-hmm. due to a couple of injuries. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's it's hard to see. Like, well, it was, it was always that sort of, mentality like similar to what you experienced with Hawk when I went down there um there was times where in 2008 not to the extent that you've had but I felt the same way I was with a uh, I was in a relationship at the time in 2010 and I had been doing the weekly shows and then we were doing shows arguably every Saturday at that point and we were building to the one of the wild and reckless shows those wild and reckless shows that I'm sure you remember those matches where the cars at ringside, there was glass and things like that. They were called the... Uh, Junkyard Bash. Junkyard Bash yeah. in my day. Yeah, so the, the show was called Wild and Reckless, but the main event was the Junkyard Bash, and we were building to that show. And I remember getting the morning of that show, I quite literally couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And I was paranoid that I would end up like Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons, where... She had the dream where she was fat and someone's like, get Mars prying stick. And I would quite literally have to be like, you know, almost catapulted out of bed, like pried out of my bed. 
And I looked around and I went, man, I'm, I'm 21 mm-hmm. and I've only been wrestling for three years and I, and I, I can't move. And I didn't look at it from an egotistical standpoint. I looked at it from a standpoint of I have to be really careful with the, with the size that I am because every bump for me is like times two. Oh, I can, I can imagine. So I completely resonate and understand where it was doing those weekly shows where you went, man, I've I got to recharge. I, gotta... I think the thing is, is what when you get a bit older too, like when, you, when you're young and you start in wrestling, you're like, I'm invincible. My shit don't stink. Like I can, I can do a superplex off the top rope and not get hurt. Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, but then as time goes on, you meet a girl or a boy or you have a, you know, you have kids and then all of a sudden you start going, hang on a minute. If I'm hurt, it affects me. If I'm me. hurt, like I'm going to put pressure on my family or my partner. Mm-hmm. And then the scariest point, and like I, I touched about this earlier, is I had a young family. Like I had a young family, and I got a stinger. I, I I did a move, and I came down on my knees, and all of a sudden it was like two lightning rods, like lightning bolts. Sorry, um, just went straight up my legs, and I couldn't feel my legs for probably twenty to thirty seconds. Was this... And this, I, I can't even remember the date, so I won't go into the timeline for it. But okay. I, I just remember, like, crawling over, like, I just remember it happened, and I just couldn't even pin the guy who I'd just done the move to. Mm-hmm. And I just remember crawling over at, to, to, the, to my tag partner, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't feel my legs. And he, and he just took over and, and, and finished the match, and... And I just remember laying there and, and I remember watching the video of just me tagging him and then rolling to just under the ropes and just laying there. And I just remember having my hands over my eyes, like just going, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Cause mm. you know, you got to remember you, you hear stories of the Christopher Reeve story where he was horse riding and then just fell, just yeah. fell and he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, and I just remember thinking, and I just that was the hardest thing for me was going through that, and then the guys come and grabbing me and walking me backstage. Like I start as I remember, as two guys had me, and we were kind of like I was dragging my feet to start with, but then I started to feel my feet again, and the biggest relief in the world was feeling like my feet actually moving and not just dragging again. Yeah. And then I just remember going home to my partner and, and I just remember just breaking down and I just said it was the scariest moment mm-hmm. I've ever, you know, I've seen some fucking scary shit in my, my time, but that really did, did my number, that one. But, you know, and it took a while. I think it was like, I remember saying to Pete, I said, I just, I can't come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it took about, I think it took about three or four months for me to actually get back in and do it again. Right. Okay. So you decide, you get, you get the call, you make the drive, you go down to Tassie. Now, 11 years is a big, is a big stint to be going from the Gold Coast to Tassie. So pretty much it was 2008. I spent from 2008 to 2011, I'm going to say. 
mm-hmm. just doing nothing, just chilling out. You know, I had I had my first child in that time. Just up here or down there? Down there in Tassie. So yep. I lived down in Tassie. Well, hey, you weren't exactly doing nothing then. Well, you know, <laughs> like uh, I in that time, you know, I did get the call to do the reunion show. Yeah, 2011 it was. So I thought it was 2010. So I've got to. There's a lot of things I got to edit because it was actually December 2011. Oh wow! Yeah, because I found the poster. I made that poster. Oh wow! And it said December, and I went. So this is how bad my memory is. I That's think, how bad mine was. Oh, I, actually I thought, thought it was 2009. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you see that when you wrestle as long as I have, your memories. Yeah, I'm getting there. It's just gone. Yeah, and. And so, yeah, so well, in that time, so let's say 2011. Yeah. So that was when, that was my first time I came back. But you had, did you not come back maybe once, but you came back in that sweat shop in about 2010. You did See, the, once again, this is how You did a couple of shows, but you weren't here permanently. It was very no. much a popping in for I like a week. The thing was is, the thing was is when I was taking, when I was in Tassie, my family's up here, like. All my, you know, my sisters are up here. My, my folks are up here. Mm-hmm. I grew up here, so, like, all my friends are here as well. So I would try and do the whole, oh, well, I'll come, I'll come for a holiday, right. but I'll also come when a show's on because I really want to see it. Yep. And then, of course, Pete would be like, you're here, you're on the show. Like I said before, you're either in or you're out. There's yeah. no in-between. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Because Pete would never let me just come and sit in the audience. So, uh, yeah, I think that was when I did that sweatshop show. And then, obviously, um, you know, we got the reunion show in there as well. Yeah, because I'd, I'd met you, well, I'd seen you at the one of the sweatshop shows. I can't remember if I was doing an impersonation or whether I was just being myself, but I remember uh, I was friends with Minx. Nick XL and the giant Cody, who I still am friends with today, and uh, they 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 had come to a couple of shows, um, and they were very supportive of me. Minx is actually one of the first people, including Sweetass and Ash, when I done my first impression in two thousand eight, to go and grab Hawk and say, "You need to see this guy in the ring," and Hawk was so convinced that I ended up getting in ring from being a manager. So I always remember that moment. So they were always big supporters of me. But I remember after that show, I went saw them. And I saw you speaking with Nick and it was the side of the ring and, and Minx had come and was talking to me. And I said, who's like, is, I said, I know that face. And she goes, oh yeah, that's Jethro. And I remember my eyes widening like an owl and I went, oh shit. And she goes, what, what's wrong? Do you not like him? And I went, no. I he said, doesn't like me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I think he's a dick. No, I went, um, I'm like, no, I know all about his in-ring work and I said, I don't know what to say. And she's like, just come up and have a chat to him. It's not a big deal. you got to remember, even I remember, I was not I was never approachable. A lot of guys will say that no, about it, me it, today. It, it, wasn't from this, it wasn't from that aspect. It, it, it's, from that, it's from that aspect that you hear about in movies and things like that where it's like, I admire and I've seen this guy work that I feel like I don't think I could hold a conversation with him because it's like, what do I know? What could I speak about to this guy? 
And that's how I felt. I was like, what am I going to say? Like, here I am going to meet Jethro, who I've seen on posters, who I've seen on tapes and DVDs, VHS and all sorts of things. He was here at MIW1, WCW, one of the originators. What am I going to say? Hi, I'm wearing a red jumper. Like, I didn't have, I felt like anything I said at that point, would you'd just be like, no. It was just like, no. And I didn't, I wasn't really established as an individual at that point. I had, like, some sort of gear but I was still sort of halfway between impersonations and myself so I really was like yo I don't I don't know what to say to the guy that kind of was here with everyone else was here like I'd known Ash and Matt and obviously Hawk and everyone else because I'd spent arguably two years with them at that point but for a guy that was there when all those guys were there and I hadn't had that connection with you yet I was like I don't really know what to say and I don't want my first impression to be like hey man and then just stand there and you're like, well, this guy's a fucking weirdo. Like, just four foot ten, he's a fucking mute. It's like, no, I don't, I, and I literally, I think I quite literally was like, uh, tell him I said hi, and I just like ran to the locker room and I was like, fucking hell, Jethro's out there. And everyone's like, huh? And I'm like, you don't understand who's out there right now? So I remember just freaking the fuck out. And then, yeah, the incident with Ash and the music happened, I think, a month or two later, which was great because that was technically my sort of first conversation with you, which was like, I don't know, man, you... <laughs> just mouthing every four-letter word you could. Um, oh, and I know a lot of them, trust me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then you were hasta luego. Then it was just like... Yeah, like I said, I think it was just more the fact that I could just... I could pop in, catch up with Ames and Nick and, mm-hmm. and BJ and all them and then pretty much be like, all right, catch you guys later. And, and like, you got to remember, like, that locker room at the time was like a family like there are there i'm I'm not gonna sit here and shit on queensland wrestling or any other wrestling companies at the moment sure what what i kind of find is like i don't i don't think the locker rooms up here just i don't think the guys really respect the other guys okay you know, and, and like I said, you can all tear shit off me and call me whatever you want. I don't, I don't care. But from my, from what I've seen is like when I was, when I was, you know, doing this all the time that I found that it was like you had your peers who you respected and, you know, no matter if you were, if you were the, um, the opener or the main event, Everyone had the same respect for each other. I think nowadays um, there's a few of those guys who are still out there who do that, mm-hmm. but then there's... I think it's one thing that doesn't get taught when guys are, are learning how to be a wrestler. It's like, yeah, you teach them how to bump. You teach them how to run the ropes. You teach them how to work with someone. You teach them how to work the crowd. But when it comes to the respect mm-hmm. and etiquette, I think promoters don't teach that because I think promoters think that that's common sense. Sure. You know, look, when I ran a wrestling company, I had, I'm not going to name names again, but I had a certain talented Australian wrestler who is doing really well for himself Five years ago, sent me a message saying, 
hey, is this a backyard fed or is this the real thing? Right. And I replied with, is this a talented worker or is this someone who talks shit? And they were like, oh, I really want to be, I really wanted to see if I could get on your show. Mm-hmm. Now, is that how you would approach a job? No. So, like, if you wanted to do your dream job, would you email them and say, hey, is this company a joke or is this the real thing? Mm-hmm. What do you reckon they're going to do? They're just going to press delete. Yeah, I won't respond. Yeah. And, and only because this guy is actually a talented wrestler, I humoured him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's one thing that I think is lost in today's wrestling is there are guys who, you know, who show respect and there's guys who think they deserve it. I think it's also too is that not only was it taught back in the day because I I experienced and I still have that camaraderie with everyone down there at IPW, you know, these 12 years later, and I, you know, being cut from the same cloth as guys like yourself, having come through that same school and that same environment with that same trainer, it it is something that is almost like a lost art. But I believe too is that that specific camaraderie and that family and that fellowship that gets experienced in those training environments and that locker room, um, it doesn't get shown on. DVDs, videos, promos, packages, documentaries. You don't see that aspect. It's very fragmented. So, like, for example, you'll chuck on a DVD of your favourite wrestler and you'll maybe see them, like, having a handshake with guys backstage, but it's very brief. And that sort of moments where it becomes sort of almost copied and pasted into other people's DVDs and other sort of backstage, behind the scenes, you know, behind the curtain, look at this, look at that. It's almost like it gets absorbed and you think, oh, well, that's just how it is now. Everyone's sort of their own person. Sure, they're all doing a job, but you don't see all the men going into the men's locker room, all the women going to the women's locker room, all of them having to sit down, having a chat, taking selfies, talking about their lives. How's your kids? How's your husband? How's your wife? You don't ever get exposed or you get to see that. So what is shown to some people that are coming through the industry now, they go, oh, that's just normal. Everyone is sort of individualised and they'll go, I'll shake that person's hand, I'll be professional, I'll be polite. But because I haven't seen them in what I'm used to, like, you know, trying to learn more about the business, trying to learn more about what's happening in the industry and what's going on, because I don't visually see these guys hanging out, in what I've been exposed to, then maybe that's not how it is now. I think the thing is as well is there's there's different locker rooms. Like I said, I've only I've only been in two locker rooms up here, and and the thing is is like because these guys all work in different locker rooms, there's different rules for different locker rooms. Sure. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So it's like so there's there's some guys who've just learned a certain way and go. Hey, look, my, you know, I show respect to everyone. I shake everyone's hand. You know, there are guys I have long conversations with. There's guys I just say hi and that's it. (laughs) But I think as well, like, that's the problem of it's hard to establish. See, like, the thing you got to remember is IPW is, like, when I was there, it was just IPW. 
Exactly. There was no, there was so, no one else. So yeah. you had to learn, and I think this is where a lot of the guys, you know, can be let off in this sense is they've learned that, you know, whether you like these guys or not, you have to work with them. Mm-hmm. These are the only guys you're going to work with. Whereas now it's like you've got how many feds up here now? Four or five? Uh, I think nowadays it's like it's yeah, cut back to about four so or five. Yeah, you got to remember. So now it's like now you might go to this fed and you'd be like, oh well, I don't really like that guy and that guy and that guy, but I like him and him. And then you go to another fed and you're like, well, I like everyone here. And do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like yeah. But I think I think that's one of the lost things is is respect. Um, you know, for their peers. Um, and also too, like, you know, I think these guys need to learn that, and girls need to learn that you have to apply for, for a wrestling gig the same way you'd apply for a job. Sure. Yeah. You know, and you need to think if you don't show respect to the person who's hiring, but, you know, also, too, I think um, another big problem is promoters don't know how to promote. Right. Well, speaking of that, you know, you, you came up and did the stint, um, a couple of shows at the Ashmore PCYC. You head back home for a bit. Before you, before you open what would be then known as Tasmanian Championship Wrestling, you come back up one more time in 2011. And that was the inaugural IPW reunion show where guys of WCW, MIW, and of course IPW all came back for one night only and got to sort of share the locker room and history got to sort of almost begin again. Mm-hmm. For a guy of yourself that was there in 2000 to, to now be there 11 years later to be called up and say, hey, do you want to come home and do you want to come and do this? What was that phone call like and then to have that experience of coming back into that locker room because I know for myself, seeing everyone that I've seen on tapes and posters, I was like, yo, this is like a red carpet Emmys, you know, Golden Globes Awards. Like, there's that person, there's that person. I've seen them. It was nuts to see everyone from then and now share the same room. But for a guy that was, you know, there when it began, to then be sort of transported 11 years later and be like, hey, come back home for this, you know, seemingly family reunion, like this, mm-hmm. you know, family barbecue reunion. Do you remember that initial phone call? And, and if you do, how were you feeling heading into it? And what was it like walking into that room and seeing everyone again 11 years later? I think it was interesting in the fact that over... Over time, so many guys and girls had fallen out yeah. of IPW, like, yeah. and I was one of them. Like, yeah. everyone who knows me knows that I'm a hothead, yeah, and knows that I just speak my mind, whether people give, whether you know it's going to upset people or not. And the thing was, like, I had run-ins with Pete. You know, I remember there was a time where Pete wanted to kneecap me, like I was. Was this when you left the company to join a different uh, promotion? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So before we get into the union show, do you want to do you want to talk about that federation and how that all came about? 
Oh, you can do if you want. It's, well, it's part of your history. It's up to you. Well, look, there was a time that... Um, was it the second time you left or was this... Because you came back for a bit and then then you left again, correct? Yeah, so this was... So when I had my... Um, 2007, 2008? Yeah, yeah, just before I went to Tassie. Um, no, I'm going to say 2006. Okay. So about... It must have been about then. So when I took time off... And, and I was just sort of just bumming around here on the coast. I got an initial phone call to become a trainer for another company right? with BJ. And so we did that. And the, the problem was is one of the reasons that I also left apart from being burnt out is I felt like I wasn't being used. Okay. And... The thing was is I, I didn't I didn't care like I didn't care for the fact I wasn't being used mm-hmm. because one thing I love doing is training. Okay. Like I actually get more enjoyment out of training people than I actually do about doing live shows myself. Speaking of training, before you get into it, do you remember this story? Because I had spoken recently to Minx, and she said she was training for about two weeks, and you had turned up at the training after two weeks. And you had asked her, how's your training going? And she said, yeah, really good, but I keep feeling concussed after my bumps. And you had said to her, are you tucking your head? And she said, no, because no one at that point had told her to. And you went, what? Tuck your head. And she went, oh, okay. And then she started to tuck her head and she started doing her back bumps better. Do you remember that story? Because she definitely remembers you telling her that. (laughs) I... I am pretty much, I'm surprised that when I was a trainer, I did not have a t-shirt that on the front says, tuck your chin. Yeah. And on the back, it says, do it one more time. Okay. Because they were two phrases that my TCW guys especially heard over and over again. It was like, if you don't remember anything that I say, remember these two things, Mm -hmm. tuck your chin and do it one more time. Mm-hmm. And even after about 20 times, I'd still say, do mm-hmm. it one more time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, that's... Do you remember that story? I do. I do remember that. Like I yeah. trained, I trained Minx and I um, trained her sister as well. Sway. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, look... So you got the call from XSC to train. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that's, and that was one of the things that... Um, you know, like I, I like just touching on that real quick is is like with girls, like I'm not I'm probably gonna sound sexist here, but like I said, I don't give a shit. Um, but with I find like with girls is you you have to really make sure your trainings you like when you're a trainer, you're on point with everything that you're teaching. Like guys are a bit stupid and careless and a bit tougher in the sense of they'll fall over and just pick themselves back up. Mm-hmm. Girls, um, you know, they're, you know, you got to remember, like, these are, uh, these, these are people who their livelihood depends on you when you're training them. So I, I, so I guess that, so with the girls, I was especially more protective of their necks because my, my rule of thumb is, like, you only have one neck mm-hmm. and you've only got two knees. Right. And once they're gone, your yeah. wrestling career is over. Sure. So, but yeah, I remember, 
I remember watching Minx Bump and, and I was like, oh my God, girl, like, chin on your chest. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, what? And I said, like, tuck your chin into your chest. Mm-hmm. There's only one move I know of where you don't tuck your chin into your chest and that's the Styles Clash. Sure. Every, and I, you know, like, the, the most important rule is when you're training guys is if you tuck your chin in your chest and and someone stuffs up a move, that's going to be the thing that saves your, saves your life. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I do remember that story with Minx. Like, I remember, <laughs> I'm, you know, it's hard to watch any girl, any guy smash their head. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if the, the worst bump that I ever see people do is the one where they bump and then they hit their head and then their head comes up and then they hit it again. Sure. Like it's the whiplash effect. It's like being in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times you, I always say to the guys and girls that if you're if you're sore here in your neck tomorrow morning, you're doing it right. The front, if, the front part, the, like the front the throat, part of yeah. your neck, like yeah. these two parts here. I know you can't see them, but these two parts here at the front of your neck. If you wake up tomorrow morning after bumping with me and you're sore here. You're doing it right. Mm-hmm. If you're sore on the back of your neck or on the back of your head, then you're doing it wrong. Mm. And that's one thing I taught Ames. Mix. Right. So that was then, and we fast forward to you now being told by a company called XSC, hey, do you want to come and train our group of guys? Mm-hmm. What was that sensation like? What was that phone call like? Because obviously there were people that you knew on the other on the other end of the phone, but arguably at that stage you were just a performer. You were just a guy that was still learning the ropes. You were just a worker. Was this the sort of... Well, I think the thing was is I, I'd been doing it long enough that I knew how to train guys under Pete's supervision. Like Pete, had, everything Pete taught me I listened to and I... And I wrote down. Okay. Like I didn't just go, okay, cool, no worries. I'll ignore that. Like anything he taught me, I wrote it down. I'd go home at the end of training. I'd be like, you know, work the crowd this way because of this. Like turn your body this way because of this. Like everything. I just had notebooks everywhere. I'd scrap bits of paper everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of felt like when I got asked, I was kind of like, well, I don't know. I, I suppose I just didn't really think that I couldn't do it because I'd been doing it at, at IPW. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and the, I remember the initial conversation is when they asked me and is they said, what, what do you want? Like obviously they offered me money and they said, what, what do you need to make this happen? Mm-hmm. And I said, BJ. Right, okay. Like as in BJ Blade, not, not BJ's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I said, BJ Blade. I said, if he's in, I said, I'm in. Because the one thing I, I, the one thing I loved about, about working with BJ is I felt that I had the old school and the psychology down and he had the new school and the psychology down. Right. Because I don't believe that you can train from one trainer and be good. Okay. I believe that you need to. I always say this. I always used to say this to my guys and girls. I'd say, 
learn from me and then go to MCW or go to Venom or go to IPW or go to um, Gippsland Pro Wrestling. Like go to as many different places and learn from experienced guys no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you end, I said, if you go to another company and you don't watch the other matches or talk to the trainers or talk to the promoters, you're a fucking idiot Mm -hmm. because that is where you get your experience from other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I kind of felt like having BJ with me, like it wouldn't just be like they would just know my way. They would know my way. They would know BJ's way. Um, the guys who came over were also experienced guys. Like there were some experienced guys too, so they would also help as well. So that to me was what made me do that. And then so obviously the problem was is I, I guess you could imagine that Pete saw the fact that me and BJ were helping a company. It wasn't the fact that we were doing it because it was something we loved and we were getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. It was more the fact of he felt like we turned our back on him and we were pretty much trying to run him into the ground. And that was never the case. That was not our logic behind it. It was just, it was pretty much saying, hey, do you guys want to come to this facility, train our guys for us, and we want to pay you? You're not being used at this company. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And we just went, yeah. And just sadly, I guess neither of us thought of the repercussions of what, you know, being loyal to another company, what that would do. And so obviously that ended in a, um, a very nasty conversation um, between me and Pete. And it took some time, but we actually sat down and talked about it a few years later. and Was that when you came back into the sweatshop stuff or was it later on after that? Yeah, I think it was around, um, yeah, it was around the sweatshop stuff because that's what then led to me coming and doing a reunion show. How was that? Uh, you don't have to quote the conversation word for word, but what was that vibe like going into that room? Were you like, oh, man, I don't know what's going to happen or were you sort of like, I think it's going to be good? Well, like making Having, up. going into the going into that com- first initial conversation. After oh, that. look! It, it was it was hard because we'd both tossed around some pretty aggressive comments at each other. Was the venue empty when you guys had the? Yeah, uh, like we like I I actually went to I went to his um, his business and I and I, I rang him before and I said, look, I said I want to talk. Mm-hmm. And he just went, okay. And I walked in there th- thinking, am I going to get... Am, <laughs> am I yeah. going to get ambushed, ambushed by like half the roster? Um, is his son going to be there? And, yep. you know, look and... Yeah, so it was, you know, and we sat down and we talked it out and, you know, and just sort of said, look, it was nothing personal. It was... It was just I explained why I did it and, um, yeah, we we managed to come to, uh, you know, an understanding over the thing. What hurt the most is I think 
Um, I was talking to Sweetass about it like years later. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just remember him saying to me, he's like, man, he goes, out of all the guys who've upset him, yours hurt him the worst. Mm. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, he said, you're, he said, like, what you did, like, he said, I never thought you'd be back in this company ever mm. again. He mm. said, you really broke him. And I, and, I, and I felt horrible for that for years. Mm. And then, um, you know, but luckily, you know, look, you're stupid to hold a grudge. And, you know, and, and I think I did for such a long time and, you know, I was just glad I was able to mend that bridge before it was too late. Mm. But, yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's all part of growing up and, you know, it did teach me that, um, you know, not to hold grudges and give everyone a second chance. And Yeah. Mm. So that was the conversation you had with your first initial promoter sort of mending that bridge and coming back and doing those shows then. We fast forward to Tasmania and you've taken a couple of years there to sort of do life, chill out. And you go back after doing the reunion show. What was that reunion show like though, before going back home to Tasmania, seeing everyone again after those 11 years? I think... Um, do you remember, was it Hawk that rang you and reached out and said, hey... Yeah, yeah, it was, it was Hawk. Like, and like I said, if I hadn't have mended that bridge, like previously... Yeah, could I not have like, been... That, my... that, that, I would have never have got that phone call. And yep. he, um, you know, he spoke to me and, and he said, look, he said, I want to... I'm doing this reunion show and I want to bring you back. And, and I, um, I begged him for um, me and BJ. I said, I want to wrestle. Blade. I said, yeah. I said, I want to, I want to wrestle. I got to say, Blade. I know. I feel like a, I could just call him a piece of shit. That's what he is. But um, yeah, like I said, I want Blade. I said, yeah. me and Blade. I said, we've never really had that chance to have like. Um, I've never beaten him. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but that piece, <laughs> that piece of shit. I have wrestled him so many times. He is my closest friend in pro wrestling and I have never beaten him. And um, so I said to P, I said, look, I said, give me Blade and for God's sake, let me beat him. If it's the <laughs> last thing I do, just let me beat him. And he's like, he's like, it's him and Cruz. Because obviously they've had that great history together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, because I was like thinking, well, that's who I want to wrestle. And then he gave me some other matches to work out. And I'm like, I'm like, I've done it. Mm-hmm. I've done it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to do those matches. Like, and, and I, I, I think, I think after everything I'd done with those guys, yep. I couldn't top it. Mm. And I suppose, you know, being a, being a bit egotistic, I, I guess I kind of wanted to prove to myself and to the locker room and to the fan base that I still could. He still got it. I still got it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Not that I wanted that. It wasn't about I wanted that he still got it, Chan. It's just mm-hmm. I wanted people to just kind of go like, that didn't suck. For anyone that was there during your time to come back and know that you were and booked, go, then yeah. see that and go, wow, he's exactly how yeah. I remember him. Yeah, not yeah. go, 
oh my god, he's put on ten kilos and he's shit. Yeah, like that's what I didn't want. You wanted that nostalgic pop from the guys. Yeah, and that's what I think. I think if you're going to have a reunion show, then you want people to remember what he was like in his prime, not what he was, what he's like now as a washed up wrestler. Yep, yep, yep. So I don't know who fought for it. I don't know if it was BJ Blade or or Cruz, but Mm. one of them went to him and said we we've i've wrestled cruz cruz has wrestled bj you know we've all wrestled each other at Mm. some point Mm. but we've never done a triple threat right and you had never done at that point yeah like we'd never done a triple threat together right so yeah so that he he rang me back and he was like look it's gonna it's gonna be you versus cruz versus bj blade right and i was like I'm, I'm not coming. <laughs> I was like, I am in. I am so yeah. in. And because the funny thing is, is like Cruz is about as about as rough as I am mm-hmm. and BJ can make a broom look good. Sure. Like I just thought this is just going to be amazing. And to this day, that is probably one of the closest matches I've ever had without screwing up. Right. Like, you know, I think you, I think we all have matches and we go, oh, that was like a really good match, but this happened. Or like that was, mm. apart from the fact that I think I was in the wrong position at one point <laughs> in that match, I think I went to go do a, a um, to powerbomb them when there was a, it wasn't a powerbomb spot. It was mm. like a Harakarana spot. Apart from that, I think it was probably like one of the best ones I had. So you're happy with the match, but what was it like pre-match walking into that locker room and seeing everyone again? It was good. Um, obviously, it was it was very friendly. Um, there was guys there who there were guys there who'd had run-ins with other guys previously. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how they were going to react, and you know. Um, it was a good opportunity to catch up with guys who I hadn't seen in so long and um, like Mason was there and just just guys who you've just... Dallas, Island Boy. Yeah, yeah, like they've just, they've all moved away. Like they live up in North Queensland. Like I was down in Tassie. Like, you know, you've just, you know, social media is great to catch up with. But, it's not you know, the same. It's not the same. Like yeah. when you actually like sit in a room and ha- handshake someone and say... You know, like, hey, like, how's your new Fed going and how's this going? Mm. Yeah, so it was definitely, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was a very family reunion vibe to it. Because that show was also important for you because you were one of, I think, four members to go into the, either the first or second time for the Hall of Fame. Mm. Yeah, like they... um, I think it was you, Mason, Brandy Alexander and the Monk. Yeah, like I pretty much... I finished the match with um, with the boys and then I, I rolled out the ring and, and I just remember walking to the backstage area and then Hawk just got on the mic and I just remember thinking, oh, this is never good. This is never good when he grabs the mic. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. And um, he just said, like, he said some very touching words and he introduced me um, into the Hall of Fame and then... Um, I just remember being very emotional because A, I'd been away and um, just, you know, battled 
two of my best friends and and then to then be given that and then pretty much I'm pretty sure like Mason came out next and then Brandy and then Monk and you Mm -hmm. know it was a real honor to to be acknowledged and and to be honest I never um thought it was ever gonna happen like because there there was no Hall of Fame for IPW and Mm. you know I don't know where it's at these days but you know for to be acknowledged, you know, by Pete, like I'm, I'm not trying to shadow the company, I'm not trying to disrespect the company or anything, but I'm glad, I'm glad it came from Pete. Sure. And not, you know, the, the owners now, like because Pete trained me, Pete respected me and thought enough of me to carry the title to be the number one guy in his company. To replace that character too. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, it was a real... I'm glad that it came from Pete. It was a full circle moment that you as not only a performer but as a person kind of needed. Hmm. And, like, if, if like, a referee or, like... um, you know, like an announcer or a manager was like, here you go, you're in the Hall of Fame. It wouldn't mm, yeah. have felt as so, complete. And that's what I mean. So having Pete do that really um, meant the world to me. And, you know, sadly, there's, God, there's a hand. There's so many guys who are not going to get that opportunity because obviously Pete has passed. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But, yeah, no, complete honour. You go in the Hall of Fame, you end up heading back to Tassie. How long is it then... Before you start getting that itch and that vibe to... So what what year, what date did you say the reunion show? The reunion show was December 2011. December 2011? Yep. I already had the itch to do something. Okay. So I did my open day for TCW on June 2012. Did it take the six month then to set everything up to get that open day or did that happen? No, so like what I what I did is I had the itch yep. and I was like, so I had the itch to do summon and then it was like, well, how do you do this? Right. You yeah. know, like, um, you know, so I started, I started like kind of looking at, you know, how do I get the word out? You know, what avenues do I go do that? If I did have an open day, how would I get a ring? Where would I do it? Like all this stuff went into planning. So so pretty much so like all of 2012, like the, the first half of 2012 was like trying to work out what to do um, and how to do it. Because one thing that I could do well was I could train and I could be a wrestler, but I'd never been a promoter. Mm-hmm. So I'd seen how things work mm-hmm. and I'd been like, okay, well, I've seen how this promoter does it and I've seen how this promoter does it, Yeah. but how am I going to make it work? Especially, see, the hardest thing for me is when I went to Tassie, it's not like I was going to find a whole bunch of wrestlers just hiding in Tasmania. Like I had to train everyone from scratch mm-hmm. so um so yeah so i pretty much had that itch like straight away after a reunion show and i was like right well if i'm gonna stay in tasmania 
I need to get something up and running. Right. And, you know, apart from Northern Territory, like Tassie was the only state that didn't have wrestling. So I was like, well, that was kind of a bit of an incentive as well. Like I wanted to be like, well, hey, let's put Tassie on the map. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, it was kind of like a bit of an egotistic, you know, oh, well, hey, I want to be able to say that I started wrestling in Tassie. Um, and also, too, I'm bored out of my goddamn brain here. <laughs> like I need to do something. So, mm-hmm. so I spent a fair bit of, you know, planning and how to do it. And I met a guy in um, Hobart through a mutual friend who said, hey, look, there's this guy in Hobart who has a wrestling ring and might be something you want to talk to. So we had a few conversations um, he was happy to um, loan me his ring mm-hmm. to to get started with. Yep. And then if things went well, then we could look at buying it and going from there. So, um, so I started the open day in 2012 um, in June. And I had a handful of guys probably about... Uh, Minx actually came down and helped me mm. and she actually flew down and said, look, you know, I'll come down and give you a hand. This is when she was living here right. on the coast before she went to America. And um, so she flew down and, you know, helped me set up, um, you know, like, I had, you know, obviously I had to set up waivers and, you know, like, um, you know, you know, registering people who came in and, you know, and it was just nice to have a girl there who'd been a wrestler as well. So just in case, like, you know, if I had a handful of girls turn up, it's not some seedy wrestler, like, going, oh, hey, you get to train with this guy. Like, it's actually yeah. like, hey, we've got a girl wrestler here. Robin who knows. <laughs> like a dirty old pedophile. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I've actually got a girl wrestler here who actually, you know, can actually show the girls sure, how to do course. it. Sure, of course, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... It was, uh, it was um, you know, a bit of a rocky start, which you could imagine, like mm-hmm. having a whole bunch of guys and girls who don't know how to wrestle and trying to teach everything, like, from the basics. And, and like I said before, you get a lot of people come to a training seminar and they're like, oh, when are we jumping off the top rope? And it's like, hang on a minute, how about we teach you how to bump first? Mm-hmm. So um, it was a really rough start in the sense of, so from that open day, yeah, I pretty much had to go, okay, so now every weekend I'm going to transport this ring to this venue, set it up, train in it, pull it down, and then drive it back to my house and stick it in the shed until next week because I didn't have a venue mm. that could do it so, so I could store the ring out. So... <laughs> Anyone who knows, anyone who's been in this industry and had to pull the ring down and put it in a truck, mm. usually there's about 10 or so guys all helping. Yep. I had to load that thing by myself yeah. to the venue. Obviously, when I got there, the guys helped me unload and settle up. Mm-hmm. And then they would help me un- like pull it down, put it back in the, in the van. But then I would have to drive home by myself. And I would have to unload an 18-foot ring by myself down a driveway into a shed. And you can imagine how many weeks 
that I had to do that for. Actually, sorry, you can imagine how many months I had to do that for. One. <laughs> I wish. Four weeks of hell. I wish. So it went, this went on for months. So I spent a lot of my time trying to find a venue. Mm-hmm. And after four months of every after work, on the weekend, going to real estates, going to warehouses, I finally found a warehouse that would, would house it cheaply. Wow. And, um, yeah, a real lucky break. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, and that's the thing. If you want something to succeed, you've got to, you to put in the effort. And that's what I did. I put in the legwork or any chance I had. Um, you know, and then we finally found a little warehouse, which was on the wharf, which obviously I nick- nicknamed the Wharf Training Centre. Right. Um, so, yeah, and that was pretty much the start of tcw and then we had to we had a venue where the ring was set up permanently and then i adapted the same style that i had at ipw where it was like okay it's going to be monday night wednesday night friday night and saturday morning because i knew it worked yeah of course and so that was that was the starting point and that went on from 2000 june 2012 to the very show, the first show was January eighteenth, two thousand and fourteen. Wow, so that's a long that's year and a half training school. Yep. So pretty much, I had I I had that long to mm. teach guys how to wrestle. That's a fair amount of time. Mm. Did you, heading into the first show, were you feeling confident with the talent, not only the talent, but you as a promoter at that point, or was there still a lot of learning there, speed humps to go through? The hardest thing was I, I, I knew I had to put on a live show because I felt like the guys needed it who were training under me. I wanted to give them light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But... Also, too, I had my reservations of, well, if I put on this live event with the talent that I have, and it's and the and the and the show's not great, mm. the audience aren't going to come back to the next one, are they? Mm. So I thought, here's what I'll do: I'll use a handful of my guys who I think are near enough ready to excel like to to take it to the next level and i'll reach out to you know you got to remember like i'd been in the wrestling you know scene for quite a while at this point so i reached out to a lot of my friends in wrestling and i said hey look i'm gonna put on a show i need some talent down here you know so i had guys like bj blade i had mason child I had Warship, I had Cremator, like all these guys from all over um, Australia pretty much. Like, you know, I had, you know, Michelle and Warship were from from WA. I had Mason coming down from Queensland. I had, um, I was meant to have Ash from Mm. here as well until he, that was when he broke his knee. Okay. And so that, you know, um, yeah, like Cremator from Melbourne, yep. um, Joel Bateman. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, it was it was like a bit of a who's who of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, and that was the thing too. Like I, some of these guys I knew yep. well, some yep. of these people I didn't know at all. It was a bit of a trusting um, lesson for me. It's like, well, hey, I don't know this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know this girl. Mm. Are they going to turn up? Are yep. they going to do a good job? And obviously, like, I did a lot of ta- talent scouting. Like, I watched a lot of tapes of, you know, got sent a lot of YouTube videos of mm. guys and girls. And I was like, well, you know, I knew what to look for. I knew could they sell? Could they work a crowd? Did they have an interesting character? And, um, yeah, it paid off. Like, obviously, my biggest regret with the first show was more how much money I actually invested into the first show that I didn't actually need to. Because right. being a promoter, I just felt I had to I had to make sure all my bases were covered. I felt like I got security and and had had extra lighting and I thought, well, you know, I had a decent camera crew come like because I was worried that if this if it sucked and it was the only one, at least <laughs> at least I have it on <laughs> I have it on tape and it's like so I can remember it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, so that was probably the that was a bit of a, a lesson there on the first show was like, hey, I probably could have done things a bit cheaper, but you know. Welcome to the world of promoting. Alright you guys, we're gonna stop it right there. This is gonna be the first time that an interview is gonna go for a part three. There is still another hour to go with Diablo. I know, we sat down and we chatted for a long time, man. But hey, if you guys have been enjoying the podcast thus far, I really appreciate all the guys out there tuning in each and every week, listening in, streaming, subscribing, sharing, downloading, whatever it is you had to do to get this podcast out there and to listen to it for yourself. I appreciate it. So, do yourself a favor and make sure you follow the podcast on Facebook, Little Man Big Conversations, and on Instagram, LMBC Podcast. And on Twitter, LMBC underscore podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. 